This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your other host, Swara Saleh. And joining us today as well is producer John Liang. John, welcome onto the show. Hi, thanks for having me again. Oh, it's always so nice to have you here today, especially while we will be talking about The Last Jedi and giving into the intrigue around the galaxy being built in this movie and the politics that are going to be at play in the galaxy in Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. There's so much to discuss, uh, but first, guys, how is everyone Thanksgiving? Is everyone feeling rested and, and truly glorious today? I'm feeling rested. I had a very relaxing Thanksgiving with family in Chantilly, had some delicious meals. My aunt's cooking is the best. And yeah, it was really relaxing and it was sort of good to just take yourself out of the cycle for a couple of days. But it also felt weird and I almost felt, yeah, I did feel relieved to get back to work on Monday and today on Tuesday. Yeah, I really love four-day weekends. (laughs) Um, Did did, uh, Thanksgiving, I guess, lunch with a really old friend of mine that I used to know in Morocco and her and her husband and their two kids um, and then went to a wedding of another friend of mine on Saturday which was really kind of neat because it was an older couple they're both uh, I think this was both their second marriages and they it was a the guy was a Navy a retired Navy captain so he and a lot of his for, uh, current and former Navy buddies had were all in full dress uniforms they had the guys lying in the aisle with their swords up when they came when the, when the ceremony ended um, it was really, really kind of neat, and of course, the uh, the the reception was was wonderful. It was actually at Mount Vernon. That's um, awesome. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. And so it was really. Aside from that, I was just basically able to relax, you know, do do some binge watching, some shows I've been meaning to watch, and it was great. That sounds nice. I uh, I, I for one finally took some time to just do nothing and become one with my pajamas and wear them for three days straight. And I feel so good about it. At first I was unsure because I am a workaholic and a busy bee. Like I get, I get cabin fever when I stay inside too long and I have to go outside and like rake leaves or something, or I go crazy. And I actually just made myself do nothing for three days. And I got started on Mr. Robot, um, which is really, really fantastic. It's a, it's a USA show. And I really like it. And what Suara very kindly um, left me to say is that I actually attended Thanksgiving with Suara and his family this year because our family, yeah, our family. Oh well, I mean, it was so good. Um, it was Kurdish Thanksgiving with a little little touch of American food around the edges as well. But the American food was the boring stuff. I mean, my gosh, <laughs> Suara, your fa- your family just like the food, the traditions, the cooking, just so good. I I've not had Thanksgiving the right way until I've had lamb uh, right off the bone. My gosh, that is just that is just too much. And then the desserts, the des- there was as much dessert as there was dinner what on earth yeah that sounds like a kurdish meal generally or a middle eastern meal generally yeah and it's really funny you mentioned the lamb because so some of our listeners might know i'm vegetarian a kurdish vegetarian is basically unheard of i think i might be the first one so you (laughs) to eat all the meat in my stead 
Swara, the last vegetarian. Oh my! Uh, but so I, I will say one sour point of Thanksgiving this year um, was watching a couple of my friends, uh, some of you uh, included, um, jump into Battlefront Two, uh, the new uh, the new hey, EA game. Sour for me? What? <laughs> I, it's sour for me, Swara, because I've been I've been. First, I boycotted it out of principle because I, I've been I've been upset about some of the the structure and and you know content of the game, um, and then I kind of after they made some changes to the game and they they walked back the amount of loot crate action and pay to win that there was going to be in the game. I actually was like, okay, well, I'm I, I maybe I'll buy it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get it after the first week, and then I actually just didn't have the money to do it, and so I just really want the game now. Um, I'm curious. Uh, Who's playing it? Are y'all enjoying it? Yeah, well, I bought a PS4 about oh three months ago during one of those Amazon Prime sales, um, nice. but I actually haven't taken it out of the box yet. It's still <laughs> sitting right next to my TV. I meant to do it this past weekend, mainly because of the long weekend, but I wound up binge-watching uh, The Punisher on Netflix instead nice. and playing some uh, Mario Odyssey on my Nintendo Switch. So uh, I probably will do it next weekend and download the the actual uh, the game, you know, Battlefront game, and but at the same time, I'm kind of wondering if I should do that or wait until the DLC comes out with the Last Jedi pack that's supposed to come out, I guess, in like the next three weeks or something. Yeah, and something like the next three weeks. And actually, Ryan Johnson and I think Pablo Hidalgo said on Twitter or online that if you want to go into The Last Jedi completely clean, then maybe you shouldn't play the DLC. Like, I'm not planning to. It's relatively short. And uh, I've seen a lot of people complain about that. I was honestly expecting and anticipating for the single player campaign to be short, to act as a sort of tutorial, as it were, a longer game. Right. And I really enjoyed what I got. It gave us some really cool nuggets about the state of the galaxy and, you know, even now th this is slightly spoilery, but maybe what Luke was up to right after Ooh. Return of the Jedi. And I really love it. And I can't wait to get my PS4 internet connection uh, dealt with so I can finally start playing online. And as for the uh, complaints that people have been having, I totally see that because people want to get their bang for their buck on, you know, this is an expensive game. Yep. You know, it's like people don't want to have to, you know, like either pay or pay to play or go through these loot, uh, uh, these loot crates to have fun playing the game. So I can totally sympathize with that. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the point of loot crates is, is a good one. And, you know, this has caused a lot of, uh, I think the word is hoopla. <laughs> I mean, so so you had you know this tremendous backlash against Star Wars Battlefront Two, um, really making loot crates a, a main feature of the game. Um, I was angry about it. I, I don't like them, um, and I, I, it's just because. I'm, I'm a casual gamer um, and I don't want people I'm playing with uh, to be getting advantages because they have more financial resources. And this actually is now headed to Congress um, over Thanksgiving break. Uh, Representative Chris Lee of Hawaii, a Democrat, uh, gave a press conference, and he came out to talk about the the subversive threat of gambling um, being imposed on children. And Exhibit A was Star Wars Battlefront Two from EA Games uh, peddling a subversive 
um, form of gambling that's going to create a, a generation of gambling addicts and degenerates. Um, it was a very dramatic press conference. They brought out like witnesses and other people who were signed onto the bill. And it was just really reminiscent of like the Tipper Gore hearings of the nineties, uh, when Al Gore's wife was, you know, and just like hair on fire about profanity and music and wanting advisory labels and everything. So our loot crates gambling, because in the UK, actually not the UK, the UK has had this debate. Um, but Belgium has actually decided that this is a form of gambling. Um, and it is banned. I believe this is also the issue in or the case in Japan, and they're going to be taking this to the EU pretty soon. So we're going to have this debate out in the U S and in the months to come. It makes a lot of sense because you obviously have some degree of regulation with casinos, with other gaming venues. And the thing is, video games have always been present. But I think that now they're taking such a prominent place in culture, especially as we've seen with the rollout of Battlefront 2. So it makes sense to me that this would demand some form of regulation. I'm not sure if it would be in the form of loot crates or... um, gambling or something like that but it makes sense to me especially when considering the financial resources that some players bring to the game the sort of higher economic status and the disparities within that in the gaming world and how that creates those unfair advantages now steven i know like you as a principled conservative don't like these sort of regulations but i'm you know maybe it's just like my regular liberal tendencies but I'm actually somewhat open to the idea of these regulations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, as a principal conservative, I don't like the idea of children becoming uh, gambling riddled addicts. Um, <laughs> but, but at the same, but at the same time, I, I, I sort of see a very clear uh, market pushback against this kind of a uh, feature in a game. People don't like it; it makes them angry. And EA Games. Um, I mean, they tanked the first week in Wall Street. Wall Street had them marked down to uh, to be, you know, this game was going to be a failure. Um, their stock prices fell because loot crates pissed people off so much. And I just think, I really believe that if we as consumers say that we don't like this and vote with our dollars, the creative geniuses that make these video games that we love will find another way to make the money that they need to make to make them living games. I mean, I mean, that's the issue, right? I mean, it's because games today are alive. They're not finished products like they used to be that just get put out. Um, now they need maintenance and they need staff to take care of these things for months and months and months to come. Um, and they need to find a way to make it, uh, you know, make it profitable in that, in that longer term span. But, you know, there was a great piece in Forbes just the other day that that said like you know games their their prices have stagnated in the past ten years they've always they've sat at like this sixty dollar range for the past decade maybe it's time to make the games more expensive y'all like I I'm okay with that I can save money and buy a game um, you know for a hundred and twenty dollars if I have enough time to save up for it and I would much prefer that uh, to loot crates and pay to play so I I trust the company to take care of this and listen to what we have to say therein i disagree with you Stephen. i'm not inclined to trust these large companies or corporations but i respect your point of view all right well i know you would swara we'll uh, we'll dig into that another time as well um and i think that might actually be a great 
opportunity to talk about real quick where we will be digging into a deeper debate on subjects like that. So we are now on Patreon. We rolled this out over Thanksgiving, and we are just very, very excited uh, to take this next step as a podcast. We've been kind of debating it internally for a long time. I think we, we we're nervous about taking this step and asking this of our listeners. Um, but we've just heard from so many of you who say that you want more from this podcast. You want more content. You want merchandise. You want things and I mean, gosh, we're, we're excited about that. So, you know, we are opening up the podcast um, to folks who want to be patrons. And so if you want to support this podcast, we've created a couple different options for you to get involved um, as low as $1 a month uh, to support the show, to keep our lights on, to keep the show quality high and, and possibly get even higher with new, uh, new equipment, new microphones. Um, so let me walk you through the tiers real quick. Uh, so $1 a month. That gets you access to our monthly bonus segment, which, Suara, we are calling this segment what? Bantha Fodder. Have you got it right yet? <laughs> oh, no, but you oh, just oh, got oh, it wrong. Wait, wait, wait. Bantha Banter. I'm sorry, guys. It's been a long day. <laughs> Bantha Banter. It's the Bantha Banter segment <laughs> where Suara and I, we, we've been messing this up for days. We're going to get it right you and we're going to get it get right it for wrong. you. wrong. This was your fault. It's all your it's, fault. It's going to be very professional, we promise. So in this uh, in this segment that you're going to get in your feed once a month for patrons only, you're going to get a debate between Suara and myself on a Star Wars topic and a politics topic. We're going to duke it out. We're going to duke it out for you uh, because if you are a fan of the show, you like debates. You like the battle of ideas. Um, that's why you're in this, uh, you know, not only because Suar and I disagree on things, uh, but we also come together at the end of it. And so we don't, Aww. yeah, we, we don't hash a lot of things out on this show. We don't think it's the appropriate place to do it, but we're going to do it on this Bantha segment. So for $1 a month, uh, you can support Beltway Banthas and you get this exclusive segment in your feed every month. Uh, for $5 a month, you get that plus a shout out every episode on the show and a thank you from us to you. For $8 a month, you get both of those things as well as a chance to have your name and a hat uh, to be drawn to then submit your own Bantha fodder at the end of our episodes. So at the end of our episodes, we vent about something that's on our minds, politics, culture, Star Wars, whatever. Um, you can join the show with a pre-recorded Bantha fodder of your own. And for $10 a month, which has actually gotten a lot more traction than I thought it would, you get all of that and you join us once a month in a audio chat room that we'll be hosting maybe on like Google Hangouts, I think is where it's going to be. Uh, plug in your webcam, turn on your microphone and join us once a month to just talk for an hour about the things that are going on in our country, in our world. Uh, it's going to be mostly conversations about politics, um, not so much Star Wars. We're, you know, again, we're all very civic people who who make and listen to this show and I, I'm just like, I'm frustrated and nervous about things and I want to talk to y'all. Um, and we think this would be a good chance for you to get to know us a little bit better. Um, and you know, interact with ideas that maybe you're not often exposed to. Um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. We've already got a handful of people who are signed up to do that. Um, Suara, you want to run through that list real quick? Our inaugural patrons again, thank you so, so much include Jason Cassidy, Matt Stout, Jason Flatt, Ray J's World, which is a podcast we've interacted with online. 
our good friend Nick DeColandria down there in Raleigh, North Carolina, Sean Mahan, Tish Wells, Jared Cantor, Sarah Smith, Jessica Shitara, who's been a longtime Twitter friend of ours. She's amazing. Connie She, another amazing Twitter <laughs> friend who's always so, so incredibly nice. Uh, Lin Wa, uh, who's also another Twitter friend uh, who's been like really consistent throughout. Star Wars Ramblings, which uh, is the person's username, I believe. And yeah, we have we have his name. I, I didn't include it in here on accident. Our, our my apologies, Star Wars Ramblings. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you nonetheless. And our good friend Cheston Lee. Uh, a great a great list of people, and and the first folks who are in on the ground level of supporting Beltway Banthas on Patreon. Um, you know, our big goal was to try to pay our monthly bills, uh, which are you know like twenty five dollars a month for all of our our upkeep and digital space and gear. Um, and now we are headed towards trying to get y'all Beltway Banthas t-shirts, mugs, new microphones, um, and making the bonus content that's going to be coming to you. And we are just well on our way to do that. So thank you so, so, so much. Um, and with that, guys, I think it is time to talk about The Last Jedi. What say you? Who we are. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. With the release of Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, we're going to be thrown back into a galaxy in total upheaval. Uh, the last events of The Force Awakens, while a little too melodramatic in delivery, they were cataclysmic. The First Order wiped out an entire star system, uh, the capital world of the New Republic, and arguably a large swath of their slim fleet. Uh, the Resistance scored a win at Starkiller Base, but I think we are headed into a galaxy currently in the grips of anarchy. We have not seen this before in Star Wars. There is not, I mean, there is always someone who is in in clear power and another force that is insurgent against that power in star wars and my feeling is that going into this movie we don't have that because before you had the 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 new republic and this proxy resistance of of general leia who who was rogue uh going against the first order a paramilitary force and now i think you're just down between the two paramilitary forces fighting each other um what do you guys think about this this dynamic that we're going into well I've, I was thinking about it, and I realized it reminds me a lot of Syria. It reminds me a lot of what we're seeing there with the government losing control. And, you know, the Syrian government is absolutely horrific and has done numerous atrocities bordering on genocide to its people. But it's, like, just interesting to think about how much the country at large has, you know, devolved into chaos amongst, like, these various factions and groups and... I can totally see the New Republic or, you know, the after the fact of the New Republic in the galaxy right now being in that sort of state with actors fighting against each other for resources, for planets, for, I mean, maybe this is a bit too, bit too much of a jump, but I could see the start of that, if that makes sense. Like imagine Syria at the start of its civil war in about 2008, when you had some revolutions against uh, the central power, but then you're not really going to have that because the central power is now gone. So I could totally view the 
uh, resistance in the First Order as sort of like two rebel groups that are vying for power and territory in the galaxy in lieu of the old Republic, the new Republic, which was just blown up. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what how they do that in the movie, specifically because this is apparently going to be the longest Star Wars movie ever yeah. made. I think it's two hours and two and a half hours. Yeah, two and a half hours. So. They'll have a lot of stuff to do. They'll have to not just you know on the political side. They'll have to you know bring everybody up to speed on where Ray is, where uh, Finn is, where Poe is. Uh, you know, when then of course you, you'll have the First Order. You'll have the Resistance. Where they, where are they going? And I kind of, which is one of the reasons why I'm actually also looking forward to Jason Fry's novelization of The Last Jedi, which is due out in March 2018, because I think that book may actually fill in a lot of the blanks that just from of basic movie making perspective they're not going to be just from a basic movie making perspective they're not going to be able to cover there I do think that in that runtime we will get a lot of political intrigue into it and a lot of delving into you know the political stakes of the galaxy at that time I'm looking forward to it yeah I mean so so the Hosnian Prime System and the New Republic Senate has been destroyed. R.I.P. Chancellor uh, Villacham, <laughs> the the uh, the little short, stout, uh, hairy faced uh, alien chancellor who I guess succeeded uh, Mon Mothma. Correct? Yeah. So after Mon Mothma stepped down, um, citing I think I think poor health, uh, Chancellor Villacham took over the New Republic. And again, this he was is all elected. Stuff. Yeah. Didn't take over. Elected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Elected, <laughs> picked, selected by his peers. Um, which you know, just one quick thing. Uh, Villacham, uh, Pablo Hidalgo has hinted a little bit at his name being an anagram to Neville Chamberlain. Ooh, um, oh man. It's true. Villa, Cham, that's Cham and Ville um, put together from, um, from Neville Chamberlain's name. And so Neville Chamberlain is a, is a name you should know from your World War II studies and in history class uh, as the, uh, the definition of Nazi appeasement um, and basically just trying to appease Hitler, uh, thinking that he won't actually roll over the galaxy. So, so Villa Cham as a chancellor was someone who was for drawing down down the New Republic's military, uh, which General Leia was very much opposed to. And he was also very much opposed to going after the First Order militantly. And that is part of why General Leia is out there as General Leia um, and not acting uh, in accordance with the New Republic itself. So are you guys thinking that we're going to see any politicians from the Senate actually make an appearance in this movie because I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking very closely at Admiral Holdo and I, she seems to me to be a politician character. Maybe y'all can, you can walk us through who, who this character is, where she came from and what we know about her. Well, as John and I discussed in our princess Leia of Alderaan, Leia princess of Alderaan discussion with Trisha Barr, um, we meet uh, Admiral Holdo. Uh, sorry, what was her first name again? Amelin, we meet Amelin Holdo yeah. uh, through Leia when Leia was 16. They were both in the apprentice legislature together. So, yeah, Stephen, your hunch. Pathfinders, too, yeah. Yeah, Stephen, your hunch is right. She is a politician, or we presume that she becomes a senator representing her home planet. And I think that we're meeting other senators and politicians on this one planet called Canto Bight, mm-hmm. um, the casino planet. 
like because uh, I guess uh, Republic senators like to go and gamble after their Congress has been blown up, I guess. And um, yeah, we'll definitely I think we're definitely going to be delving into the political ramifications of what happened after The Force Awakens. And I think Ryan Johnson himself has expressed a lot of interest through his interviews about the politics of the uh, New Republic and the galaxy and has particularly uh, referenced a lot of his appreciation for the prequels and they're delving into that. Yeah, it'll be really interesting, interesting to see how uh, he, how what we see in uh, Lord Dern's portrayal of uh, Holdo because in, in Grey's Leia Princess of Alderaan, um, she's a very sort of like Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter type. Um, so I'll be really interested to see if any of that personality is shown in The Last Jedi, what her leadership style is, how she interacts with Leia. Um, she's also an admiral, which means she, I, I'm assuming she had to have joined the military at some point. What, how, that, how her military experiences uh, uh, influenced the person she is now. So I'll be really as, looking forward to seeing that. As opposed to the Luna Lovegood figure she was exactly as a right. teenager. That's, that would be really a really interesting dynamic to explore. Quick follow-up question, John. Um, you're the military buff guy here. <laughs> so uh, Admiral versus General, who, who is superior? There, Admiral and General are on the same level. Okay. Admiral there's, and General are on the same yeah, level. There's different, there's different degrees of Admiral, like Vice Admiral. Um, there's different degrees of General, like you know Brigadier General, Lieutenant General. But when you get to a full Admiral, you're both on the same level, basically. So are we thinking that Admiral Holdo, how how she's a politician, do we think that she just sort of became an admiral as a result of the Hosnian Prime being wiped out? Uh, and she just has to step in. You mentioned that she could be like a designated survivor, you know, like we have in the United States where everybody gets together for the State of the Union. And if the entire building blows up, like in that Kiefer Sutherland show, we've got one random person stashed away in a bunker who then becomes the president. Um, I, I, I'm sure that that's not going to be the exact situation, but I'm thinking that she's going to be somebody who just was not in the Hosnian Prime system that day. And now she's the last representative of the New Republic. And we also see in the, uh, in the trailers that there is a space battle and there are and we know from the various toy sales and stuff like that that there are republic uh warships maybe she was one of the folks that was uh running or that was leading that that uh, fleet right do we, so, do sorry, we know sorry. about the tensions between her leia and poe because i know they've they've expressed a whole lot that there's going to be tensions between holdo and poe that their leadership styles clash and poe doesn't much care for her being in charge probably because he's you know she's not, she's a politician she's very eclectic and strange um it, it, do you think that she's going to be clashing with leia as well i doubt that i i mean maybe a little bit but I think it would only be in terms of leadership and I just can't really imagine any sort of specific disagreement they would have. I could imagine them just having general disagreements about how to conduct themselves during the war and how to lead the galaxy during this tumultuous time. But I can't, I honestly can't think of anything specific, but I actually, sorry, I do want to like go back to what you were talking about, the designated survivor thing. And I definitely don't think that the Republic necessarily has that sort of system in place. Rather that, I think that when we observe galactic trends throughout history, 
we see that certain people influential throughout certain influential people throughout the galaxy always step up to the vacuum of power i think that when you look at for example mon mothma coming from chandrilla one of the core worlds and how she was really thrust into a leadership role in the rebel alliance and put herself uh fully head on in the battle she you know she became a natural leader for them to rally around after the empire was defeated and i think that you see that a lot with leia as well for example during bloodline she never had uh political ambitions to be the chancellor of the new republic but or the first senator which is a position they create in that novel but still, because she has such incredible prestige and she has such incredible influence throughout the galaxy, people naturally gravitate towards her. So I definitely don't think that there is a specific line of succession in case one leader and another dies, but rather you have certain influential people like Leia, like Amlin Holdo, who just naturally rise to those sort of leadership roles. In that sense, I would say it's very decentralized in the galaxy. Yeah, also, not just that, it, uh, it reminds me a little bit of uh, World War II when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and they bombed all, and they took out a whole bunch of battleships, which at the time the Navy thought was their main weapon of war. Um, and the one thing they did not hit by pure accident, by pure luck, were five aircraft carriers who just happened to be doing exercises away from the islands. And what wound up happening is that those those aircraft carriers became the number of the, the most important part of World War II, of the Pacific Naval Battle, uh, Pacific Naval War, was aircraft operating off of aircraft carriers, either bombing uh, shore bases or bombing other, uh, other enemy ships. And I'm wondering if Admiral Holdo and her fleet just didn't happen to be in Hawsey and Prime at the time of its destruction. Otherwise, they would have gone off. They would have been destroyed as well and they were somewhere you know in a different uh, part of the galaxy and as a result of that came back and I'm, I'm i'm sort of spitballing here but i'm also wondering if maybe she she and uh, she and leia had a you know had a falling out you know you can be you know childhood friends uh, really really close childhood friends but as you grow older you know your your priorities change your interests change your you know your your outlook on life changes and maybe they just sort of had like a, a falling out at one point and she and and Holdo just decided, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going straight into the Navy and doing following my naval career and not doing politics. And maybe she was just she's been forced back into this as a result of Hosni and Prime being destroyed. Mm. Yeah, John, I I think I agree with you on that one. Um, I believe that they are going to you know meet in this movie as frenemies and that they have had a unstated falling out that we don't really know about and that it's going to be really icy i don't think she's going to be like a welcome figure um you know in in the group meetings um but i think they're gonna they're gonna hash it out and then we will find out some juicy backstory in some comics or something like that um oh, i love to read those it's always in the comics <laughs> but let's, uh, or the books you never know yeah <laughs> but let's like let's take a look at the first order because the one thing that i I really enjoyed from the past week was um, an e you know an entertainment weekly you know another another Bresnik can drop you know he did a he did a he did an interview you know with Andy Circus who is the uh, the man, the creature behind Supreme Leader Snoke. And it was just a, a pretty in-depth interview about what he is able to share about that character. And first of all, we heard a lot about Supreme Leader Snoke 
and his pain and that you know the deformities that we see in supreme leader snoke are relatively um, so I'm, i mean really mean relatively recent um that he is in a constant state of suffering and that he as a villain is is somebody who is just looking to amplify and spread his personal pain so that was really intriguing to me because i think of snoke as being very very old i, I think of him as being somebody who has been around through like almost the entire star wars saga um but I guess I always envisioned him always kind of being that way. But Andy Serkis made it seem like something happened in recent, you know, history that made him deformed and he's angry about it. And I was fascinated by that because then he goes on to say that one way in a small scale that he uh, redistributes his pain is he is, is intent on governing the first order by pitting his lieutenants against each other. Um, he, he drives them forward by making them fight by pitting Kylo against Hux and Hux against Phasma and Phasma against Hux. Uh, this is sort of how he rules the first order. And it's also how he sort of like gets off as a guy who, who just really wants to spread pain. Um, (laughs) and it reminded me of our conversation about, uh, our president and his governing <laughs> his governing, go- style? <laughs> his oh, governing style and and it's you know, i'm not going like over the top with this comparison but what i am what i trump am saying is about snoke confirmed trump is snoked it is is a fact and you know it's a parallel actually they designed the snoke character um you know in the era of trump um i'm just kidding so <laughs> are you no, though, no, Steven? I mean, that's that's how Trump runs his his businesses. That's how he ran his campaign. That's how he runs his White House is with big personalities that he puts into positions where they are opposing one another. You saw this with like Sean Spicer and Anthony Scaramucci. I'm sorry, Reince, Reince Priebus and Anthony Scaramucci are is like the most recent example. And you had Paul Manafort and Corey Lewandowski. And he knew these people fought. And he he that's how he gets like the best out of them. And one of them always falls. It's very, it's very Sith like in terms of its management style. (laughs) Um, And it just, it reminded me exactly that when I read that profile. Well, it reminded me specifically of another star Wars villain, uh, my favorite villain Palpatine. And we've talked before on the podcast about how he would do the same tactics, uh, pit his leaders against each other and, or his lieutenants against each other and would, sort of uh, ensure that the hierarchy would stay in place and that he would stay at the top. But the interesting difference between Palpatine and Snoke is that Palpatine, perhaps because he was already at the uh, central command of the galaxy, didn't have to, I don't know, like doesn't appear, never appeared as like outwardly um, sort of rancorous as Snoke has so far. Mm -hmm. Snoke, you know, seems to be, as we saw in The Force Awakens, somewhat insecure about what's happening and seeing his generals and lieutenants fumbling up or losing the map to Skywalker, whatnot. And, you know, Palpatine, we love him so much. He's always calm. He's always calculated. But Snoke, perhaps because of a combination of not being in the central control of the galaxy. And because of this pain and suffering that you're mentioning, Stephen, he seems to have a much more outlandish and outwardly means of leadership to ensure that the galaxy is feeling the specific pain that he is feeling. It's very, uh, 
sadomasochistic and sadomasochistic (laughs) and um i don't know i just like find that really interesting about snow it's it just like it almost yeah again and we've talked about this before on the podcast seems like some sort of neo-nazi leader who is just seeking to inflict pain on the world and i think that we're seeing that a bit in the u.s today and uh yeah, it's just that interesting parallel of someone who just is feeling so much inward pain and just wants to inflict it on everyone else that he sees. It's yeah, really I, horrifying I would, as well. I would, I would say, I, like, I would probably step one back from like what we see in the U.S. today. You know, like a desire to inflict pain. I would, I would say though, like there is an an, uh, an energy of, of of score settling. Like that's that's what this and that's what this entire presidency seems to be about is uh just getting even with people uh who made you made you feel like a small boy uh from from you know uptown new york or i'm sorry downtown new york uh well anything else that is on y'all's minds in terms of the politics and sort of the, the dynamics of this movie that you're excited about. We haven't talked about Ray and Luke at all, but maybe that's because they don't really fit into the bigger picture in terms of how these, these two governments, um, you know, and these bodies are moving against each other. Anything to add about Ray and Luke, uh, you know, anything there? I don't think there really is. I think that's more of a personal journey kind of thing. I I think one of the big things we're going to see is definitely Snoke, um, just because I don't think they, they had enough time in The Force Awakens to really get into his character, just because they had to establish all the new all the new people. And the real – Snoke was sort of like a, uh, an antagonist sitting in the back, very much so like the Emperor in the first – you know, in, in, uh, in the, the Star Wars 1 from 1977, A New Hope. Um, so <clears throat> I wonder if now that – now that uh, the second installment is coming up, We'll get much more of a backstory into why he. And I'm, I'm assuming, given what uh, what uh, Andy Serkis said, I'm, we probably will get a good chunk of backstory and wh- where he came from, what, what his motivations are, and everything else. I think that we're not necessarily going to get, you know, his origins, but we will understand so much more about his motivations right. and, okay. for example, how he was able to turn Kylo and how he formed maybe formed the First Order. You know, for whatever's relevant in that moment in the last jedi we're going to learn about it uh yeah and john i echo you in regards to ray and luke that's so much more of a personal hero's journey that i don't think is really going to play that much into galactic politics except for defeating kylo and snow i mean it, you know? at the same time you'll have, you'll probably have uh poe maybe butting head butting heads with leia and maybe he's right, got one way right. of doing things and leia has a different way of doing things maybe he's got one way of doing things and holdo has a different way of doing things so very likely they might have that well, well this is the really crucial thing isn't it because the galaxy is in chaos right. they lost their central government mm-hmm. like none of the all of the planets that were part of the new republic have lost their representatives and the person that's meant to guide all of them so and who knows? They might just be pulling out. You know, yeah, the, yeah exactly. you're, you're not bound to the New Republic. In this case, people might be um, 
falling in with the first order because they're scared. Right, yeah. Because they're scared. I, this is, I mean, you might find that when this movie comes back, when this movie comes out, that there are entire star systems and worlds now pledging their allegiance to the first order because they are scared out of their minds. Exactly. So who knows? I mean, gosh, our heroes could be completely marginalized. They could be completely marginalized and they could very well be at odds with each other because I think, as you mentioned at the beginning, Stephen, the galaxy has never been in this sort of state of chaos before. Right. So Leia has no president for it. Uh, Holdo, Poe, Rook. Le- ah, did I just say Rook? I just mixed <laughs> like Ray. Oh my god! <laughs> Ray and Luca have had no presidents for it. Maybe Snoke has in the distant past or something, and he thrives off of this chaos or something. But it's very. Again, I go back to the Syria and other Middle Eastern countries examples of groups that are infighting with each other and essentially tearing society apart because they're really in it for their own ends at the end of the day. Although I will, although I will say about like, again, you know, there is obviously, you know, one side or a couple of sides that are like purely evil, like in Syria, the government and ISIL and others, but still, you know, that dynamic of people trying to outdo each other generally. Yeah, and I, I come back to this often and, and we gotta wrap up on this. You know, what you're mentioning about the First Order is that's what's really different about them in the Empire. This is we might need to accept that this is not a body that is committed to governing the galaxy. Conquering conquering it all and building institutions might not be what they are trying to do. This seems to be a Star Wars built in the age of terror and disorder of, of Iran and North Korea. This is, this is, you know, just madness without much reason. And that might be the most scary thing about this movie is that we don't understand and we may never understand why Snoke is doing what he's doing. He doesn't want to be King. He just wants to burn it all down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's like so. the Joker. Yeah, the Dark Knight. Yeah, exactly. And and I'll tell you, that's about the scariest type of villain that you can encounter. Um, well, that wraps it up today um, for our main segment on a little bit of speculation about uh, the political dynamics at play in The Last Jedi. And we will now move on to some new reviews that have come in from listeners. And we so appreciate you guys taking the time to write us um, and review us on iTunes because this gets the show out to so many more people. So, first five stars great thoughts from bt murphy we met bt murphy right at our live show in durham yeah he was so nice brian thank you so much for your review man we really appreciate it and we really loved meeting you in durham so nice and he says this podcast offers balance balance and insightful thoughts on far too rarely discussed intersection of star wars fandom while star wars offers fans a great avenue through which to view and mold their own opinions on politics it's not often one we like to discuss publicly with hosts on both sides of the political spectrum beltway banthas gives its listeners a healthy way to walk down that avenue without veering down the path of political propaganda um from Oh My Mithrendir. Uh, that is Kate of the But Why Though podcast. She says, never gets boring when it comes to politics and Star Wars. How much can you say? It turns out a lot. That's what Swar and Steven have taught me. And the conscious effort to explore all sides of the characters' political issues and fandom debates is refreshing when so many pods get stuck in the loop uh, of repeating their feels and not engaging with the other side. Um, we really appreciate that, Kate. Thank you so much for taking the time to write that and review 
review us on iTunes. From Colleen M.M., loved the Looking for Leia episode, five stars. That was our episode with Dr. Annalise Ophelian. That was a fantastic conversation I had with her. It's a pretty short, but still very helpful. I really appreciated having a queer activist perspective on Star Wars. Thank you so much for your review. We try to have as many perspectives as possible. And our last one, my favorite Star Wars podcast, five stars by Midwest is the best. Aw, thank you. <laughs> Steven and Suarez shared realization that the Star Wars franchise is inherently political. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. <laughs> it's the starting point for the great discussion on this podcast. I appreciate the diverse perspectives the hosts bring to the table and the honest conversations they have about politics, fandom, and how these two things intersect. Thank you so, so much, all of you, for your wonderful and kind reviews. It really helps us. So, guys, I think that brings us to our Bantha Fodder segment where everyone who's on the show gets to share something that's been on their mind, politics, Star Wars, otherwise, um, uninterrupted uh, and unfiltered. Um, John, you care to care to lead us off? Uh, sure. Me and mine's going to be kind of short. It's just my main Bantha Fodder for this week is that I seriously cannot wait for the doggone movie to come out. <laughs> it's taking way too long for December 15th or 14th for that matter to get here so that we can finally see what Ryan Johnson, Johnson is going to do, has, uh, done with the next installment of star wars and i'm definitely clearly they clearly had uh, a lot of faith in him and a lot of faith in this movie if they gave him basically the keys to the kingdom in, in, in the sense of letting him put together a new trilogy that is not a skywalker trilogy so i'm just basically waiting for with bated breath to see what it is that uh he put together in this next movie same here john so the past couple of weeks, I've been very perturbed, angry, upset at the actions that the FCC has recently been taking and that they say they're going to enact this December. Some, A lot of you, especially, you know, y'all are on the internet. You've seen the hashtag net neutrality. You've seen how the FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, recently announced that he and his fellow FCC members are going to take a, quote, vote when we obviously know where the lines are going to be drawn, as they are partisan, to gut net neutrality rules that were put into place in 2015. This would spell a potential disaster for the free and open internet as we know it. Net neutrality, you know, again, these rules were only put into place in 2015, but it was a build, it was a legal buildup to that that happened over the course of years. You had large internet companies like Comcast and Verizon trying to stifle um, pr productivity coming from certain independent creators and from YouTube and from other sites that were competing with their own project. They engaged in a series of legal battles back and forth for several years until it got to the point when the courts ruled that the FCC does have the legal authority to ensure that your internet provider cannot stifle service or uh, productions from these in independent sites like to the consumer. And you had in 2015 them specifically say, like these internet companies saying specifically to the FCC, oh, no, wait, you don't have these rules. And so the Obama administration, recognizing the problems inherent in this, put the rules into place 
to ensure that it was illegal for, again, these big internet providers to stifle services or jack up prices from any of their competition online. However, with the implementation of this vote in 2015, sorry, in this upcoming December on partisan lines, three to two, they want to gut the net neutrality rule saying that, oh, the internet it should will be completely free from the stringent regulations if we just get rid of this. No, the internet will be incredibly less free. It will allow your internet providers to stifle services like that, that you enjoy, like YouTube, like Netflix, like podcasts. The thing is, they could still vote on this and it will be shot down in the courts again that you'll have a major outcry as you are having now from millions of people and companies and uh, entities who recognize the danger that is within here. So potentially it could go down another legal route and we will have net neutrality installed again, but we can still prevent this from taking place before. Call your senators, call your congressmen, jam the FCC with as many phone calls and letters and emails as you can. This is not a done deal yet. Please recognize what is at stake with net neutrality. That's my Bantha Vodder. All right. Uh, well, buckle up. I had the hardest time coming up with a Bantha Vodder for today, like banging my head against a wall. I, I really can't quite put my finger on why this has been so difficult. It usually is not. It's not like I don't have opinions on things. There are lots of things right now that I have very strong opinions on. Um, you know, For instance, the repealing of net neutrality rules I think is a good thing. And this nonsense about the end of a free and open internet is nothing short of focus group tested lies. You also had Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi's no-show at the White House yesterday, really exemplifying their political weakness and proving that they, in many ways, are no different than Mitch McConnell in 2009. It's just as cynical of an approach. You also have powerful media figures, left, right, and center, all falling and showing just how much of a farce the virtuous act of the elites in our country and really the world really is. Um, Mitt Romney, you might remember him, was raked over the coals for saying he had binders full of women he intended to staff in his White House and his administration. Um, he was done, this was done to him by the media in general, but by four of the liberal journalists in particular that are now exiting the stage in shame for their own private wars on women. And it just kind of leaves me feeling a little empty, like where I've, I've thought I'd feel something, you know, like good about it. I feel nothing about it. Um, me in 2012 would have been ecstatic to see Republicans in a total majority in Washington. And that is now the case. And it's just a, a nightmare. In reality, it's just a total nightmare. And maybe that's the reason I, I just sort of feel like I'm grasping at straws today. The force just feels so out of balance. Or, or maybe that it is balanced. And balance is, in fact, awful. Because for every Ajit Pai you get fixing the FCC, you have a Jeff Sessions trashing the DOJ. And for every congressional seat Democrats lose justifiably because they're stubborn and incredibly extreme, you get a pedophile Republican winning a Senate seat or, or you know, on his way to winning a Senate seat in Alabama. And then for every self-righteous Al Franken you have being humbled and shown to be a hypocrite, you get a Republican president embarrassing the country 
in front of the Navajo code talkers, insulting their service and disgracing the office. It just feels like we're in a nightmare, and I am honestly exhausted by it. I know a lot of you are as well, and I hope that we as a country are able to find our way out of this darkness and soon. Um, I too, John, cannot wait for The Last Jedi to just occupy my mind Um, fill some of this void, inspire me artistically and politically and take us into 2018, which I think is going to be better than 2017, unless Ray turns to the dark side, in which case everything will be extra awful. Okay, and that brings us to the end of another episode of Beltway Banthas. Thank you so much for sticking with us for episode 44. If you are interested in becoming a patron of this show, you can find out more about that uh, at www.patreon.com slash beltwaybanthas. You can also find us on Twitter and engage with us in conversation anytime at Beltway Banthas. You can also find me at Stephen underscore Kent. Uh, Suara, John, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Juan John Jedi. That's J U A N J O H N J E D I. You can find me on Twitter at Swarasaleh1. That's S W A R A S A L I H 1. You can find me on Instagram at Swarto. That's S W A R T O. I post a lot of pictures of food, but also sometimes of cosplay, <laughs> as we did at Durham Comic Con. That was awesome. And if you're interested in Star Wars and music, I have a Facebook group called Sounds from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. We talk about everything John Williams, Michael Giacchino, and everything in between. So if you want to join, just send a member request and i'll accept you and y'all should do that thanks again for listening to beltway banthas we'll be back yeah hey by the way don't we have something coming up yes our live show uh yes so we have a live show coming up uh our first ever live show um i mean we've done panels but this is a little bit different um we're doing a live show for beltway banthas in arlington on december 13th it's going to be at the arlington central library it's going to have uh, a, a awesome rock star panel of guests we're going to be joined by ben dominich of the federalist now uh part of the mccain family he actually married megan mccain john mccain's daughter so we've got a uh, political royalty in the house uh tamara keith and scott detro of npr politics and Kristen. Soltis Anderson of ABC um, and the Pollsters podcast. It is going to be so much fun. If you are in the DC metro area, you have got to be there. Um, it's going to be it's going to be really really cool. We look forward to seeing you. Um, thanks so much for listening to Beltway Banthas. This has been episode forty four, uh, and may the force be with you always.